0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. Today we're going to explore some more fire from Zechariah. A reading from the prophet Zechariah. Then the Lord showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the messenger from the Lord. And the adversary was standing by his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to the adversary, The Lord rebukes you, adversary. The Lord, the one choosing Jerusalem, rebukes you. Is this not a log snatched from the fire? Joshua is wearing filthy clothes and standing before the messenger. He responded to those standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua, Look, I have removed your guilt from you. Put on your priestly robes. He said, Put a clean turban upon his head. So they put the clean turban upon his head, and they dressed him in garments while the Lord's messenger stood by. Then the Lord's messenger admonished Joshua. The Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, If you will walk in my paths, if you will keep my charge, then you will lead my house and guard my courts. And I will allow you to walk among those standing here. Now listen, high priest Joshua, you and your companions sitting before you. For these men are a sign. Look, I am about to bring my servant the branch. See this stone that I have put before Joshua. Upon one stone there are seven facets. I am about to engrave an inscription upon it, says the Lord, of heavenly forces. I will remove the guilt of that land in one day. On that day, says the Lord of heavenly forces, everyone will invite their neighbors to sit beneath their vines and the fig trees. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Still a name that's being used in the land. it is a version of this name that Mary and Joseph name their baby, sometimes pronounced Yeshua in um, modern English Hebrew, if we will. But um, this name Joshua that God saves is the name of the high priest. He has a mitre on his head. King James translates it as a mitre, like our bishops wear. Could be turban. The high priests of God in the Old Testament wore turbans and vestments that had very distinctive uh, emerald stone or stones on them of, for the twelve tribes of Israel. And we have a description of those clothing. And, and here we have another description of this, the same clothing of the high priest there in the temple. This is Zachariah's concern. The purification of the second temple that has been built there on the ruins of the one that Solomon built that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And Zechariah is talking about renewal, and yet knowing that renewal has not fully happened, Um, he's talking about the judgment that came upon the people of God that ultimately led them to. because of the injustice that they were doing before the judgment, that guilt, he keeps mentioning that guilt that is being removed from the people. Um, and then he says these really beautiful things. He promises them that he promises them a sign. And whenever we hear sign in the Old Testament, we think of prophecies about Jesus, certainly and the servant that is going to come. The name is Branch, or Branch of a Tree. There was an evangelical church planted near where I grew up called the Branch, and this is one of the names for the prophecies about Jesus, the Branch. Um, Also, the origin of the term Branch Davidians, an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist, um, famous and infamous for the uh, awful events that happened in Waco, Texas, but a similar uh, place of origin for this name. It does come from Zechariah. This is a name for Jesus, prophetically. Uh, And these stones that are there, the number 12 are not is not mentioned, but the number seven. Seven facets of this stone. And there's removal of guilt. Again, this concept of debt is here. The word debt and guilt are pretty much synonymous throughout um, really all ancient literature, including the Bible. And this weight of guilt, this weight of debt um, that they owe is being removed. And it is the guilt of the land, not just the people, individuals or people, but everything, everything there carries with it this guilt. But that is when God is ultimately removing it through the work of this servant who will be a high priest, like this high priest Joshua, who will actually have pretty much the same name as the one who is to come. So a lot of Messianic or Messiah overtones here, the Messiah being the anointed one, the one who is promised to save God's people, and then his actual name being used here. There's not a lot of emphasis on that particular name being used for Jesus. In fact, they're told that they're supposed to name him Emmanuel, And then it says, she has a baby, and named him Jesus. So I'll leave you to puzzle over that one. Why the name switch there. And nobody calls Jesus Emmanuel ever again. Uh, It's not a name that's used. used, um, No one ever says, hey, Emmanuel, come on over here. But he has this high priestly name there of Joshua, Jesus. And then this beautiful vision of what paradise really looks like. The peace that comes after forgiveness is a vision of people sitting under their own vine and fig tree. This is the metaphor used a lot in the Old Testament for heaven or prosperity or a time of, of great calm. Everyone just in their backyard under their vine and fig tree. Uh, that is the symbol of of peace, and it's still a pretty good one. There are times when you sit on a park bench or sit out in your porch or sit out somewhere where you are outdoors in a nice garden garden kind of place, and I hope you can feel that kind of peace that God brings to our lives. It doesn't get much better than that. It really doesn't. Today we remember uh, Katerina von Bora, Catherine or her nickname Kitty she was born in 1499 remember 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue it was a time of transition in the world of new discoveries and technology and all the things that came from that she was the daughter of impoverished German nobles and went to a Benedictine convent in Brenna. She was instinctively devout, as they described her, and she felt deeply drawn to the monastic life. And when she was a teenager, she took vows to be a Cistercian nun there in Germany, specifically Nimschen. As a young woman though, she became increasingly critical of many of the abuses that she perceived in the church and became keenly interested in the movements of ecclesiastical reform. In 1523, she and 11 other sisters secretly contacted Martin Luther and asked for his help in escaping from the convent. 1517 is when Luther nails the 95 Theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church and starts the Reformation in Germany, which was a movement all over Europe to some degree or another, but it really stuck in Germany because Martin Luther survived the attempts to kill him. And so while uh, Martin Luther is engaged in this work of announcing his reform of the Catholic Church in that area, uh, many nuns and monks left their convents and monasteries and yet, many of them were locked in there, like Kitty. She was locked in their convent. You had to escape. It was uh, very much similar to a prison situation as, uh, as uh, that is the vow you take as a nun or monk is to not leave, to not leave the, the convent or monastery. and so. They were often places that were guarded for escapees, and uh, that is the case with with her. She was smuggled out in a fish wagon and soon found that, that they had nowhere to go. Because their families refused to take them back, several of the Protestant reformers sheltered the women and Catherine found a temporary home in the family of the famous painter Lucas Cranch, or Cranach. Eventually all the women found husbands, uh, mostly monks who had escaped, there in this community of this new Reformed Church in Germany. But for Catherine, uh, Catherine there was no match found. I believe she was around twenty and was thought to be maybe too old for marriage to the monks that were there. Um, That's in another account I read, that was how old she was when this happened. Um, Well, we can look at the numbers. Okay, she's 24 when this happens. So well past the age for nobility marrying, generally for the first time, and that may have been part of the problem. There was another problem with her is that she was smart, and many of the potential suitors complained that she was too smart. She was intellectually intimidating, and her assertiveness was off-putting. Eventually, she said she wanted to marry Martin Luther himself, and he agreed. He was about 40 at this time, uh, and they got married. Many in the early Lutheran community were opposed to Luther's marriage, fearing it would open him to criticism that he had only left the monastic life for, for marriage, which did happen occasionally um, at great cost to the people who did it. But that was one motive for people wanting to leave monastic life, which wasn't his motive. His, he, he was uh, not married or anything for many years after he left. Um, but Luther came to believe that married life was itself a vocation from God and that clergy marriage was something that would make the Reformation happen even more effectively as the women of the Reformation were uh, really driving a lot of it and were effective co-workers and colleagues. So Catherine became an early model for the vocation of a pastor's spouse assisting Martin in his ministry providing hospitality to many as well as raising their six children and opening their home to a number of orphans uh, the family regularly hosted dozens of people at dinner many of them were students of Martin Luther and Catherine is well documented as having uh, equal participation in discussions with her husband, Martin Luther, uh, in Latin and in German, there at the dinner table. We have transcripts of these uh, encounters, these dinners called table talk, and you can read these conversations 500 years later um, of Catherine and Martin Luther and the students and others that were there discussing the Bible and theology around the table Um, Martin Luther was terrible with money Uh, he gave a lot of it away to people in need and it was Catherine who managed the the family finances and often had a lot to say to Martin about how he was not handling things there's a lot written about Martin Luther and Catherine and uh, if you google their wedding ring you can see um, their wedding ring online. It's, it's got a crucifix on it. It's pretty cool. Um, but their marriage became a real symbol for um, the new world that the Reformation was bringing to the church, of clergy who were married, of women who were leading, and a lot of other things that were dawning in this new era. So we honor her today. She died on december twentieth, fifteen fifty-two. Almighty God, who didst call thy servant Catherine von Bora from a cloister to work for the reform of thy church, grant that for the sake of thy glory and the welfare of thy church, we may go wherever thou dost call, and serve however thou dost will. Through Jesus Christ, our only mediator and advocate. Amen.